We should start an acapella group too. It's the Doom to Fail podcast. I am your best friend, Tim Dobbs, and with me, as ever, is the lady who once wore a tutu, but then never wore it again, Catherine Cogre. It's good to be here. What do you think? Did you ever wear a tutu? I could see you being in ballet classes. Yeah, I was made to do ballet for like seven years. <laughs> from I was like, made to do ballet. My mom forced me to do ballet. <laughs> Hmm. It's too bad we already decided in an earlier podcast that she is great, or else I'd have some choice words for her. She says it made me more graceful. As regular listeners of this podcast know, we like to have a lot of different series and roll through the series until we find something that finally, just for two seconds, can hold our attention. And this week, our series is Toy Inventors. Each seven in a kind of zen port. I don't have a dollar, but a cent short. I'm saving up for the fun that's in store. It's all thanks to Toy Inventors. And our specific subject this week is Catherine? Antonio Passin. Passin. I wouldn't I wouldn't have said the accent. So good for you. Oh, I'm just guessing, so. I know I like it. We'll go I, with I think it. we let's go with it. Passin. <laughs> He is Italian, but what what did he do? What's special about him? Well, Antonio Passin, he uh, actually invented the radio flyer. And for those who don't know what a radio flyer is, it's actually just the little red wagon. Yeah, it's a wagon that we all got pulled around in for some reason. Exactly. It feels debatable whether that's a toy, but I guess that's... We can get into that later. You know, it's actually in the Toy Hall of Fame. Really? Where mm-hmm. is that? I don't know. Probably somewhere like Ohio. It's got to be in Ohio, right? That feels like an Ohio thing. I couldn't think of anything meaner. I'm glad you said it. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're big Hall of Fame people in Ohio for some reason. Are they really? Well, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there in Cleveland. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I believe the football NFL Hall of Fame is in Ohio. I don't remember where, though. If So you have maybe like one and a half Hall of Fames in Ohio? I mean, what else you got? I, I mean, I just New York feel like has, there's has Cooperstown. There's probably more Hall of Fames in other places. Like where? Really? I'm really? not a Hall of Fame encyclopedia, Tim. What do you want from me? <laughs> well, we'll just take a visit to the Hall of Fame halls, hall, halls of Fame, Hall of Fame. Ooh, where does the <laughs> modifier go there? <laughs> I think we should uh, put a pin in this and come back to that and learn more about Antonio Passini. Uh, where, where he has a, an Italian name, right? Where where was he born? Well, that's because he was born in Bassano, Italy, in 1898. 18, whoa, so a long time ago. Yeah, right at the turn of the century. And uh, how did he? Hmm, I don't want to just ask you how he came to invent this thing. Um, <laughs> well, there's a whole story behind oh, Antonio Passin. Um, Antonio Passin 
learned carpentry from his father and grandfather. So it was sort of a family trait passed down through the generations. And at age 16, so in 1914, he left for America by himself. Uh, I want to, um, I think something we're going to slowly begin to see here is that Antonio Passine is the American dream. Yeah, absolutely. I want to provide a supporting detail here for when he left for America in 1914 at age 16. Uh, his parents sold their mule for him to go to America. Yeah. Their mule, Catherine. <laughs> I read that and I was like, that's too stereotypical. That can't be true. And so I didn't write it down. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's, it seems like a bit much. But yeah, you can just you can just see the old country uh, parents dressed in in uh, uh, distressed clothing going, never forget who you are. <laughs> that was a bad accent, but. His younger brother is crying as they take the mule away. <laughs> Who was his best friend? <laughs> oh. At any rate, so Mr. Passing comes to America at age 16, but he can't work because he's too young. Uh, are we post? Uh, yeah, I guess that's there's already been child labor laws passed, right? Mm-hmm. But 16 mm-hmm. seems like he would be able to work. Any? Do we know what that's about? Um, that was actually his wife said that his, um, wait was he married yeah he well not at that point but i mean his uh-huh. widower said that in his sort of the short video that we'll talk about later i want a quick correction did you say widower because a female is a widow and a widower is a male really yeah huh you'd think that somebody would have corrected that like actress isn't a thing anymore uh what corrected you at some point I don't talk about widowers and widows often, so. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, it's, you need to be less charming because then you can be correct more often. They let you get away with too much. <laughs> that's, that's my major flaw. Okay. So apparently, according to his widow, he couldn't work because he was too young. So he ended up working as a water boy for a sewer digging crew. That was the only work he could find. Oh, maybe he couldn't work as a carpenter because oh, he was too young. He couldn't sure. be like a master carpenter. Nobody trusts you because you're just 16. That makes sense. Right. They didn't want to take him on as an apprentice. I don't know. But so anyway, instead he went into unskilled labor. Uh, a water boy for a sewer digging crew. That sounds terrible. That, that sounds awful, awful I work. I mean, I was thinking about it and at least he's not doing digging the actual sewer. So that's nice. <laughs> I guess so. I work in sewer support. <laughs> Oh, it sounds like customer support, but the person you call when, like, you have a major toilet problem. That's called a plumber. I know, but, it, like, <laughs> I imagine they're, like, on the phone, like, hello, sewer support, can I help you today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello, Seth, super sewer support, how can I direct your call? Um, but anyway, after three years of doing odd jobs like these, he decides to take a big leap. Let's say it again, he takes a leap! He basically invested all the money he had, presumably, which was uh, his odd job money plus some leftover mule money. Um, and he bought some used woodworking tools and rented a small workshop. So he sort of skipped being an apprentice at all and uh, just became, I don't know if apprenticeship was still a thing in the 1900s in America for craftsmen, but I imagine it was. You know, I'm not and, sure. I wonder if there was a big shift from like Europeans who were used to doing apprenticeships and what have you 
had this chance oh. to tr- go out and make it on their own before they had finished their quote unquote apprenticeship, journeymanship, whatever. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, because it's uh huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Because it would allow some freedom and perhaps that's even why he would have tried to tried to make the jump. Exactly. Uh, we don't have any information on why he went to America. Yeah, they they try to romanticize it, but I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah. Like he wanted huh. to start his own business someday and he knew America was the place to do it because that's where dreams come true. But I'm not buying that. <laughs> What was I about to hum? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I guess, you know, to get a little uh, a little off base here, I, that's sort of interesting only because that means that instead of plying his craft in sort of a restricted system, he got to have freedom, but that freedom meant being a water boy for a sewer digging crew. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. That is really I don't know. Yeah, we're getting at deeper truths about America, so. Well, let's move on. Or. or Deeper things I made up about America. <laughs> um, but anyhow. Now he's got a workshop. And he starts off by making these phonograph cabinets. Cool. Yeah. And so he's doing the entrepreneurial thing. He's living the American dream, making his own way, starting from scratch. And <laughs> one day, on a, on a whim, he switches to creating children's wooden wagons. It feels like we're missing a really good story there, too. Yeah, why? Like, wh- <laughs> why would he switch? I mean, there must have been a reason. Maybe maybe he uh, was in a park somewhere watching children play or something. Sure. These are the stories we're missing out. Okay, I have a theory. Okay. Phonograph cabinets, you really only need one of those for a lifetime. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, probably only the... the, the I don't know. What do you think about photograph cabinets at the turn of the century? I feel like probably only richer people had it. I don't think it became commonplace exactly. until later. Yeah. And um, everybody has kids, or almost everybody. They're really cheap for them to make. The, the children. <laughs> <laughs> the children They're are cheap. They're cheap to make, expensive to maintain. <laughs> Wooden wagons are cheap to make at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's just wood, right? I mean... Wood, maybe a little bit of metal for the handle. Otherwise, I'd buy it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, okay. So here's my problem with wood, like the little red wagon as a thing. How do you play with a wooden or like a little red wagon? Well, this is why I was saying, is it really a toys? Because so what I remember of being in a wagon was basically the game was, all right, Tim, you sit in the wagon and... I will pull you like my little sit or my, my, my big sister would pull, pull me. <laughs> that's kind of the game. And then generally, because whenever we would try to spice it up, because that's not really a game, that's a crappy mode of transit. That's, that's rickshaw, basically. <laughs> yeah. Using uh, your sister we, as a mule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't listen to this as she's best used. Um, <laughs> that'll show you, Hannah. Listen to it. Finally. All right. <laughs> Ooh, we're all so busy. Um, anyway. Uh, but so then we, when we would try to expand the game to, like, a game where, like, you know, whatever, we're shooting at aliens or, you know, with a, a fake gun or I don't know, whatever. Basically, the wagon would tip over um, because it's sort of unbalanced at the front where the axle can rotate. And now it's just a death trap. <laughs> okay. Um 
But apparently, like, it was really popular. I mean, his first wagon is called the Liberty Coaster because he's so inspired by the Statue of Liberty. And this seems like a super niche market to me. Like, for example, if Antonio Passin came up to you and he's like, I have this awesome business plan. What do you think about it? What would you say? <laughs> uh, the business plan is basically, I'm going to start manufacturing wagons and children will play with them. And the market I've estimated here will grow at 0% indefinitely. Yeah. As someone who lives in the 21st century, it still seems ridiculous to me. And I've seen them be successful. And so I am pretty sure I would have turned them down then. But then again, I'm not a businessman. That's true. I mean, and clearly we're wrong, as we'll find out. But here's the other thing about it. It's called the coaster. Like, that troubles me in that it suggests that kids are supposed to get in this and just, like, glide down hills. There's no steering. It's going to flip. It's true. It's true. Um, All you can do is sit in the wagon and pull the handle in towards yourself so it rests against it and hope that the thing stays straight. And then you can't turn it without it flipping. <laughs> yeah, that's the big problem. There's no turning with the little red wagon. This is a terrible idea. I feel bad. We're just criticizing the little red wagon. We'll try to be more inspirational in the in the second half, but I, I have more criticisms. Hang on. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Well, do you think do you think maybe that was his business plan though? Is that he just maybe he really was investing heavily in children's funeral services? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe in the twenties there was a vested interest in <laughs> killing off children. A Jonathan Swift type of situation. Exactly. You can, it's good eating. Perhaps, perhaps the rich were so, uh, you know, if this was the roaring 20s, if we were at that point by then, perhaps the rich were so disconnected from their children by then that they thought it best to just kill them and invest them. <laughs> then you save on the au pairs, too. Exactly. Good au pairs are just completely absurd pricing. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, this was before child abuse That's laws, so... Huh, when do you think those went into effect? I have no idea. I think, like, maybe even as late as the 70s. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that dark note, we will return after the break to inspire you with Antonio Passin's fantastic American tale. the doom of Veil podcast and we are back talking about antonio passin inventor of the radio flyer now Catherine, when we left off he had just built his first wagon called the liberty coaster it's true pop quiz why did he call it that because he loved the statue of liberty so much <laughs> and why did he love it so much 
because it represented his new beginning here in America. Gosh, America's so great. It's okay. So he actually was very successful with this, wasn't he? He absolutely was. So much so that he had actually put together an assembly line. <laughs> They're like little cars, almost. Exactly. He actually got the nickname Little Ford for just the efficiency of this assembly line. I mean, he's able huh. to put up put out 1,500 wagons per day, cheaply. That is a lot of wagons. A lot. If I remember correctly, was this around the time that he switched from a totally wooden wagon to a metal stamped wagon? Yep, that that's the, that is when that happened, yeah. So that's also, that's also how he increased efficiency, which is interesting. It goes from, uh, he's going from the sort of handcrafted beginning of the American dream to the secondary level, which is industrial revolution American dream. <laughs> it's true. Um, Let's make it heartless and make a lot of it. I wouldn't say heartless, um, but let's get to back to that in a second. So first of all, I want to point out that this is when the wagon is actually called the radio flyer. His two favorite inventions were the radio and the airplane, and that's why he called it the radio flyer. <laughs> I like that. I like that he's, he works on that level of whimsy. <laughs> um, even better, he also made a luxury model called the Zeppelin Flyer. <laughs> this was in the days when Zeppelins were luxurious and not death traps. Or, excuse me, <laughs> the Zep Flyer, which I assume was the Zeppelin Flyer. Yeah, I don't know what else that would be. Zep, uh, <laughs> nope, nothing. It just means the airship and the band. Anyway. The radio flyer actually sells for about a third of the current day price. So it was less than $3 a piece, and in the 30s, $36, or that's about $36. Do you know uh, how much it sells for today? Is it really like $100? Yeah, it's about 120 That seems so expensive. I wouldn't pay. For like the classic? Yeah, right. Hmm. Interesting. It just mm -hmm. seems like it's just a dumb wagon. I don't know. Why would I pay $120 for it? I think you're paying for the brand. Yeah, well, and also, it's probably pretty nice. I don't know. I, I don't know how much things cost, so. The amazing thing about his company, which at this point, it was called the Liber Liberty Coaster Company, and now it's called the Radio Steel and Manufacturing Company. Right, because they moved into steel when they changed from uh, materials of construction of the wagon. Exactly. So Radio Steel is actually up, able to keep up sales during the Depression, which is an amazing achievement considering. That is, that, that is a hell of a thing. I think uh, <laughs> I would say wagons are a flexible good, not an inflexible good. It, it seems like <laughs> apparently wagons are on the same level of food. It's just like, well, everybody's got to buy it. <laughs> we clearly don't understand the market. <laughs> There's something we're missing here. Maybe it was like a burgeoning market at the time. Like... Uh, because he was sort of introducing this new item and it was fairly cheap at the time, it still had an increase in sales, you know? Right. It's possible for a kid to save up for it if they really want one. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I would have bought a, a, a stick ball set or maybe a stick and hoop. Something with a stick. I think you could have made that your own yourself, Hmm. Tim. Wouldn't have thought of that. That's where the stick industry has you by the nutsack. <laughs> it's like the beers. They've just convinced me through years of advertising that sticks can only be bought. <laughs> A stick is forever. <laughs> there's commercials with the violin music. Dun, 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 dun. And there's shadows <laughs> playing with sticks doing like fake sword fights. 
<laughs> Someone like whamming a stake into the ground. <laughs> Sticks have a long and rich history. <laughs> Through time, it's only been one thing. Stick and mankind. One relationship that'll last forever. <laughs> So because he was able to keep up sales during the Depression, he actually was able to provide jobs uh, for all his workers. It was was one of the few places where there weren't layoffs. And so, you know, that's how depressions work is, well, people aren't selling anything so that they lay people off and then they can't afford anything so no one buys anything. But Antonio Passin bucked this trend. And he was able to help out his Italian countrymen, Italian-American countrymen, um, by providing jobs for Italian immigrants. Absolutely. And he's even able to provide a lot of services to his employees, like interest-free loans and English tutoring. I mean, I don't think you're going to get an interest-free loan from your employer anymore. Not these days. I don't think so. He was, he, he was, uh, it was an example of non-evil corporate paternalism. He was like Andrew Carnegie, except not a terrible person. <laughs> Actually, um, I read that that was another inspiration that he had from Ford. He, like, he took the, the assembly line idea and the fair treatment of workers idea. I love like how he took and sort of just sized down the automobile industry. <laughs> he was like, let's make a cute mini version. Yeah, that's adorable. <laughs> and it worked out really, really well for him. And for, I mean, for everybody, really. Yeah, and he's even able to grow a little bit. Like right smack dab in the middle of the Depression, they have the World Fair. Or the World's Fair? Uh, I think you say World's Fair. Okay. They had the World's Fair, and this he is the borrows... New York World's Fair. Ooh, good I question. Think so. I think it might be. Uh, what what year is this? Oh, it was Chicago in '33. Yeah, that makes sense because he's he's from Chicago or he lives in Chicago. Oh, see, I just pictured him living in in Brooklyn because he's Italian. No, no. <laughs> uh-huh. Stereotyping. Anyhow. Anyhow. So he borrows thirty k which is an incredible amount of money back then, for the World Fair to create, World's Fair, to create a 45-foot tall boy, like, hauling a radio flyer behind him. Mm-hmm. And he sells tiny radio flyers underneath, like, little keychains almost for 50 cents a piece. But more than making money off of this, what he actually is able to do is build his, com- like, spread the word about radio flyers and how great right. they it, are. It's amazing advertising. I mean, the World's Absolutely. Fair brought together you know people were wowing at the new new inventions that could come about in this brave new world world and new are the two key things here (laughs) it's actually pretty successful um but yeah at this point i want to ask you a question tim shoot why why do we call it a little red wagon these days and not a radio flyer uh i mean i actually i've seen both um I don't know. Maybe maybe the brand awareness has gone down. Maybe it's time to build another forty-five foot tall boy pulling a wagon. <laughs> I don't know how. How do you think that would go over these days? I'm not well, sure that'd be an affecting it ad campaign. It would kind of be washed away. But there is a like a giant red wagon in um, Spokane, my old hometown, um, mm-hmm. in the park. There's a giant red wagon there. What, 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 what does the wagon do? Anything cool though, or is it just a sculpture? It, it's the um, the handle is actually a slide that you can slide nice. down. That's exciting. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. I don't think that. I think 
we call it Radio Flyer a little less, but I hear that enough to make me not think that anything uh, anything kooky is up. Okay. So now uh, we're going to treat you through to um, Radio Flyer through the decades. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're pretty much at a point now where in the 40s, he's more or less a fixture. I mean, this is a, a very successful company that's, that's well settled. And uh, he just did it all basically, I mean, well... What would you say caused his success here? I mean, he put in he put in some hard work. He had good mm-hmm. g- a good product, good craftsmanship, and yes. uh, I mean, just business acumen. Like it doesn't seem like he was taking a huge risk or anything. It just he sort of ran the business well, you know. I think it was actually a really big risk because who knows if that's going to sell well or not. Well, but it seems like he grew organically. Like he more or less, you know, built it. It started selling fast, so he built some more. Started selling fast, so he came up with a new. I mean, I think maybe the one leap he did that wasn't just, you know, textbook. This is how you run a business. Was the factory assembly line thing? Yeah, I think that was a big risk, and I think the product choice was a big risk because who knows if that's going to sell well or not. And I mean, we give him credit for <laughs> like. Well, I mean, how do I want to put this? Like we say, oh, the business grew organically, but most businesses don't grow organically. Most businesses just fail. (laughs) I guess that's my point. Right. Uh, But I think that this is maybe a very slightly different case in that he was a craftsman who was going to just sit there and make stuff regardless. Oh, Um, that's true. Yeah. And so it's, it's not like it was an entrepreneurial effort. It was more like, well, I'm selling this stuff and selling really well. I guess I should try to make a business out of it. At least that's the way I interpret it. Yeah. Then in that case, I would attribute his success to the um, assembly line. Yeah, that's the best I can come up with. He uh, he jumped onto the manufacturing wagon. Ho! <laughs> Just at the right time. <laughs> you've, you've sort of seen how Pacine's story goes from... Uh, Immigrant who sold his mule just to get a chance to come over here to hardworking laborer working to build the infrastructure of the country to craftsman to uh, businessman manufacturing uh, paternalist head of industry and all, all this great stuff. Now, I just want to take a second to compare that to the CW's latest show, The LA Complex. Don't get a complex. <laughs> Did you? I was just like, I was flipping back and forth between reading about Antonio Pacin and then I just saw that on uh, Paul F. Tompkins' website. And I was just like, these two are exactly, they're, they're just opposites. <laughs> but the thing is, they're both chasing the American dream, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting. What came up to me is like, LA seems like the new New York, right? Because it's, the Hollywood sign is the new Statue, Statue of, of Liberty. Liberty. It mm. represents all the dreams that you're going to achieve someday. It's the Dubnafell Podcast. We're going to be right back. Mostly on track.
That's the Through the Fail Podcast. We are back to talk Teens at Dinale, I think. What do you think? I don't think we have to do that. You don't think so? <laughs> I would prefer we didn't. I like to talk big. Big, huh? All right, fine. How do you uh uh how do you feel about this whole Middle East thing? You know I don't feel. <laughs> Good talk, Catherine. We will be back next week on the Doom to Fail podcast, and we will be talking about, get excited, folks, Washington, D.C., our very first East Coast city. Whoo, chills. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> it even made Catherine feel. But I hope you do come back for that because it's going to be really good. We already uh, lined up some, some real interesting stuff about that. And I hope you have a great week, and I hope you are nice to people all week, even when they don't deserve it. And we will see you next time on Doom to Fail. Bye. 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 I think we're just going to abandon the whole Catherine Tim thing. Bye. Bye, Tim Dobbs. Bye, Catherine Coker. Bye. Bye. Take me home, I'm feeling stressed. Put down your phone and I'll tell you what's happening next. Honey, you're passing the test. She sees what she wants to see. This week's episode of the Doom to Fail podcast was accompanied by our musical guests, the Red Hook Ramblers and the Victor Herbert Orchestra. For more episodes of the Doom to Fail podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or visit us at doomtofailpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook.